You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. Wholesaling is a marketing game, so you have to understand that you need to do marketing to get people to ring your phone. And all wholesaling is, Marcus, I have a unique look at it, but wholesaling is very simple, right? What does a wholesaler do? Well, they provide liquidity to the marketplace. The We Love Equity Show is brought to you by Azria, widely recognized as an outstanding resource for real estate investors with exceptional education, networking, and support, along with profit-enhancing benefits and all aspects of real estate investing. Visit Azria at www.azria.org. That's visit Azria at www.azria.org. All right. Hello, We Love Equity listeners. It's Marcus Maloney, the Equity King here for another show. And I'm bringing you an awesome guest from the Midwest. We have David Dodge here. David is a man of many trades. He is a flipper, wholesaler. He owns about 65 doors. He's been in the real estate industry for nearly 20 years. So he's definitely not a novice. He is a professional doing many things. So I know today you will definitely gain some value from all of the years of experience that David has. So David, man, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Marcus, thank you for having me on this show, man. I am excited to be here. And my goal is to just teach and spread some value to your valuable audience, man. So again, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great, 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 man. So tell me, you've been doing this for about 16 years. Give me that entrepreneurial backstory. Why didn't you just go to corporate and, and, and work that way? Why, why decide to make the leap over to entrepreneurial? So here's the deal, Marcus. I did go the corporate route for the first 10 years. So I've been investing in real estate for about 16 years, right? But I've only been full-time for like five or six of those, of those years, the first 10 years, right? So I'm 35 years old, right? And I started when I was 20. So I was in college. Now I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, I was born and raised here. And I actually went to school in Missouri too, right? How lame is that? But I went to school about an hour and a half west of where I live. So there's St. Louis, Missouri, which is on the river bordering. And then there's Columbia, Missouri, which is in the middle of the state. So I actually went to college in Columbia, Missouri. And at 20 years old, I bought my first rental property. And Marcus, you've probably heard the term before, but I house hacked. So I bought a house that was four bedrooms. And I rented out the other three and I basically lived for free and just chipped in on the utilities with everybody, right? So I did that at the age of 20. And I basically did that about three times in college. And and I wasn't, just to let you know, I wasn't like savvy about investing. I just knew that owning real estate was a great way to build wealth over a long period of time and it eliminated my rent. Now, when I bought these first couple houses, in fact, for the first 10 years, 
I was buying on the MLS. I was paying full retail and I was typically putting down 20% and getting a loan for the additional 80%. So I know what you're thinking already, Dave, how'd you do this at 20 years old, right? Well, yep. I didn't even have the money to put down. I borrowed that from my family, right? I had some grandparents and some aunts and uncles and, and my parents that said, hey, we will lend you this money at a preferred rate of return, but you have to pay it back to us. But this will allow you to go get a loan and we'll even co-sign on that loan. So I did have some help, but I'm telling you this because I wasn't savvy to it, right? I didn't know that I could do creative types of deals and that there were these things out there called these like motivated seller people, right? Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I was just doing that. So to speed it up a little bit, I, I did that retail via an agent, via the MLS, parking 20% in or borrowing that even and getting 80% loans over the first 10 years of my investing career. So that was basically from the ages of 20 to the age of 30. Now that entire time I was just doing about one a year, right? And that entire time I had jobs or I was working as an entrepreneur, but outside of real estate. So okay. I started this, uh, this endeavor out of college and I was working for various jobs in sales and marketing. And I've always kind of been in the whole, in the sales and marketing, because as you can tell, I can talk, I'm very talkative. I'm very friendly with people and being in front of people and selling or, or marketing, it just comes natural to me. So I had a bunch of different jobs working sales and marketing. And that was probably for the first five or six years of, of the 10 years I'm talking about between 20 and 30. And then for a couple of years after that, like towards the end of those years, I had a couple of my own businesses that uh, I had like a web development company and I had an e-commerce business and they were just, just kind of dabbling and I didn't really find passion in any of that stuff, working corporate or even working for myself, but doing just random odds and ends. So about five, six years ago, when I was about 30, maybe 29, I just said, I'm going to go into real estate full-time and I don't want to bore your audience. So I'm going to try to speed this up here. But I just started reading, Marcus. I started reading book after book after book. And I probably read a hundred books in six months, right? I wasn't working either. I had quit in the last business that I was working on and I didn't have any jobs. And I'm just like, I'm just going to figure this out. Like, I don't really want to be an agent. And that's typically mm -hmm. where people go to learn or get yep. and get their fingers wet, Right. And I knew that I didn't want to be an agent and I knew that I wanted to be a landlord, but I also wanted to start flipping properties, but I didn't have a ton of money. In fact, I was about 60 grand in credit card debt. Wow. wow. 60 grand. All right. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> love it. Okay. So I was 60 grand in debt and I started reading and I came across a bunch of different books that kept talking about wholesaling. And I thought it was very interesting how you could buy and sell a property or flip a property essentially without having to like have any of your own money. And basically I tried to wholesale on my own and it, I spent about three months just kind of spinning my tires. Okay. And I had a couple deals that I was really close to getting to the finish line, but nothing really panned out. And then I decided, hell, I'm going to hire a coach. So I hired a coach to help me learn how to wholesale. So, so hold on, hold on, David. Let's kind of go back a little bit. I want to go back to two points. You got it, man. One was at 20, where did you get that mindset to say, instead of me renting like every other college student, we're going to buy something and I'm going to house hack because house hacking wasn't something that was mainstream like it is now. So you were really progressive. So what, where did that mind shift come from? 
So I, by the time I did that, I was a junior in college already. So I had already had two years of college behind me. And in those two years, I was taking financial planning classes. I was taking awesome. classes on real estate. And I had a teacher who basically taught a course down at, down at the University of Missouri, Columbia, where I went. And it was a, a course on the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. And I just, I, I don't know how I signed up for this course, but I did somehow. And I ended up in this class. And the guy that taught the class was like, we're going to learn about this book all semester long. And we're going to learn about real estate. And he was a landlord. Wow. And he had 50 or 60 of his own doors at the time. And he donated his paycheck to charity. And was just like, I make enough money on my rentals that I'm financially free. And I just like to teach. And just a really, really awesome guy. So he kind of wow. opened my eyes up to Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But again, in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you don't learn real estate investing and you definitely don't right. learn how to find motivated sellers. You just learn the principles of investing and leverage and taxation and how these are the, the components that the rich use to build wealth, right? right? That's the that's how that book, how I interpret the book. It's been a couple of years since I've read it, but it just kind of opens your mind up. So after that course in college, I said, what, I'm going to go into this. And I got an internship at a commercial real estate company and I was doing side work for landlords, helping them fix houses up and just doing anything and everything I could to get invested and be a part of real estate investing. So I guess I, I you could say I was lucky to, Man, were to you? have that teacher and to just take that route when I did. So that's kind of what got me going. But again, I didn't know anything about motivated sellers or discounts or creative financing or anything like that. And to me, the only way to get in, and Columbia is a tough market. It's actually very difficult to find a motivated seller there because there's just a lot of buyers always yeah, look. College town. It's yep. a college town. Rents are basically guaranteed. Yep. You get good tenants, right? So with that being said, though, I didn't know any better. And I just found a property and said, what do I need to do to buy this? And most people would have stopped right there. And then the, I went and they're like, oh, but you need to get an agent and then you need to go get a bank loan and you need to show that you can pay us back. So I did that. I borrowed money to get the loan and then I got the loan and then I had to have co-signers because I was working part-time jobs in school, uh -huh. but I didn't stop. I think that's the goal. I like the lesson here is that I just, that was on my mind to do. So I did it and I didn't let anything stop me. And I borrowed a hundred percent of the money to get it done that property to this day. That's good, man, because you saw the opportunity and you said, no matter what, Hey family, this is what I want to do, but I'm ambitious. I'm going to get out there and do it. Help me out. Help me out here. If I need this, I need that. Let's work together and get this done. And not everybody at that age is ambitious enough to do that. And man, thank God that you had that teacher because you really had a built-in mentor right there for you. So that's, that's definitely, definitely awesome, man. So you got this property, your house hacking. You said you did what? Three more of those? So I did two while I lived in 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 the universe. Actually, I'm sorry, three of them while I lived in the down in Columbia. Uh -huh. One at the beginning of my junior year, and then I did two my senior year. One at the beginning and one at the end. And they were all essentially house hacks. I just moved from one to the next, and I had rooms rented, or I would rent the room I left and just have everything rented that I wasn't living in, right? So I got three done in the first two years, essentially. But then over the next eight years, again, I did this for about 10 years. I was basically buying one property a year on average to the point to where after about 10 years, I literally had about 10 houses. Right. And every one of these had 80% loans. I had paid retail for them and I was barely cash flowing. But time is on your side. Yep. You had an asset. 
And it's right. And I still own 80% of the properties that I had bought in that first 10 year period. So it's between the age of 20 and 30. I'm 35 today. And again, I learned about five, six years ago, about 30 years old, that there was this thing called wholesaling. And that's kind of where everything pivoted and shifted for me. And that's really when I went full time. So I don't want to jump in if you're not ready yet, but. Uh, yep. No, no, I am. So okay. I want to talk about the three months you trying to trying to find this deal Love because it. some people always think that, but I'm going to do a direct mail campaign or I'm going to call a couple of people or knock on a few doors and I'm magically I'm going to make $10,000, $20,000. But similar to you, it took me like eight months in order to do my first deal. It took you three months. So kind of what was that mindset that you were going through when you were not having that success like everybody. Yeah, so it actually took me four months, but here's what happened. So three months on my own. I was on my own, Marcus. I was I was doing some marketing, but very little because I didn't realize at the time that wholesaling is a marketing business. Yep, yep. And I want to make that very clear to anybody that's listening, that's new to this. Like if you want to get into wholesaling, learn how to market because that's the there business. You You're not really an investor. And so you take on risk, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, as a wholesaler, you are in the marketing business. You're not a real estate investor. You're a real estate marketer. So get that through your head. But essentially, three months goes by, and I'm just like cold calling people on Zillow that have their for sale by owner or even for rent, seeing if they want to sell. I'm doing a lot of Craigslist marketing, both calling people, again, that have something for sale or for rent, and I'm posting ads. And that's basically all I was doing. And again, I thought I had two or three deals that I was going to get closed. I was really close on two or three, but nothing really ended up panning out. And I started getting frustrated. So I found a coach. It was a local guy that had been coaching here for a couple of years already. I'm still friends with him today. And I said, hey, let's do this. Like, teach me how to get these deals done. And immediately after hiring him, he was like, David, you need to get through your brain, your, your thick skull here, buddy, that this is the marketing business and the yeah. amount of marketing that you're doing It'll get you a deal in a year or two, maybe less, but you need to step up your game. And I was like, all right, Joe, how, his name was Joe. I said, hey, Joe, how do I do that? And he goes, let's get some mailers out. Like, let's let's get your phone ringing. Because obviously right. there's only so many hours in the day that you're able to outbound call or text people, right? So he's like, I don't want you to stop doing that. Keep that up. But we're also going to get your message out to other people and get your phone ringing. So again, I was about 60 grand in debt on my credit cards. When I hired my coach, right? Wow. But within three weeks of working with the coach and getting postcards sent out and getting my phone ringing, I had done two deals within three weeks. So basically, it took me start to finish almost four months. I love it. I love it. <laughs> almost four months to get that first deal. But then I started doing like two or three deals a month right away. And uh -huh. then within like five or six months, I was up to like six or eight deals a month. And now we average about 10, 10 plus even okay. on average. At so this real point. quick, real quick, David. So dude, you took a risk and not everybody will be willing to take that risk. And that's Most something that I tell people about being an entrepreneur. You are 60 grand in debt, but you still say, but I'm going to spend this money and get a coach because I know that this work but there's something that I'm missing and I need somebody to fill in that gap because most people will say, no, I'm not doing it. I tried it. I went three months, didn't, didn't secure a deal. I'm 60 grand in debt. I'm a college student. All of this, what if, what if, what if, but you say, but 
to hell with it. I'm just going to get me a coach that's going to show me what I'm doing wrong. And he sat down and he identified what you were doing wrong. And he was like, hey, you need to do some some marketing right, <laughs> to absolutely. bring in some leads to get your phone ringing. And then once you did that, then boom, you started closing deals. Well, I love that you stopped and you and you reiterated that because I put all this on a credit card, right? So I put the cost of the coaching, which was several thousand on the card, all mm -hmm. the marketing that the coach and I had, we went and bought a list. At the time we were using list source uh, before PropStream. Now we love using PropStream. Yep. Uh, but we went and bought a list and we got online and found a local mail carrier that could do postcards and mail merge it together. And and we got that out. So I think I went from being 60 grand in debt to like 66 or $67,000 in debt when it was all said and done because of the cost of the coach and yep. the marketing. But it was worth it every penny. And like you said too, most people, some people aren't going to be willing to take that risk. But to me, failure wasn't an option. It was, there's guys out here doing that. I can do this. Mm -hmm. I got to just figure it out. Right. Yep, yep. And uh, I wasn't afraid to fail. And so much so that I went from being 60 grand in debt to almost 70 before I was able to start closing deals and cashing checks. But I was able to pay all that debt off in just a couple months. So it was worth every penny of it. Yep. And not, and not everybody look at that because they, they don't have that mindset. And guys, this is what I'm telling you. And this is the same thing David is saying is you can't look at what's going on in your situation right now, especially if you're trying to be an entrepreneur or a real estate investor, you can't look at your situation right now. You have to look at what you're building. And I always tell people as an entrepreneur, you're constantly building. Most employees they're not building. They're just going to build something for someone else. So they're not looking long-term. They're looking at the next two weeks, I get a paycheck. The next two weeks, I get a paycheck. But builders, entrepreneurs are looking, okay, the next two weeks, if I don't get a paycheck, I'm still building. The next month, if I don't get a paycheck, I'm still building. But I try and tell that to some of the people that I coach to where you can't look at the short-term gratification. You have to look at long-term and when you're building, and that's what you were doing. You were saying, oh, okay, I'm six grand, uh, 60 grand in debt, but I know if I learn what I need to learn, I'll be able to pay off that 60 grand and more. Yep. I'm with you 100%. I love it. And that's the risk I took. Yep. Yep. So, so tell me, once you started closing multiple deals, did you keep that coach? What did that coach teach yes, you outside of the marketing? Program. It was like an eight week program and we're still friends to this day, but I didn't need him after the eight weeks anymore. He essentially just kind of lit a fire under my butt to do some, to do the right marketing and more of it, but also he really was the one that got into my head and taught me that, yeah, Dave, you, you think you're an investor because you have these rental properties. Great. But like that knowledge that you have isn't necessarily going to help you wholesale, right? Wholesaling is a marketing game. So you have to understand that you need to do marketing to get yep. people to ring your phone. And all wholesaling is, Marcus, I, I have a unique look at it, but wholesaling is very simple, right? What does a wholesaler do? Well, they provide liquidity to the marketplace. That's really mm -hmm. all they do. All right. And when I say liquidity, I mean three weeks, four weeks, they're going to be able to cash you out. Typically, whenever you have a piece of property that you want to sell and you go the traditional brokerage route and you hire a real estate agent, 
they're going to vet you. They're going to list your property. There's going to be a lot of paperwork. Yep. That property may or may not go under contract right away. It may sit on the market for a couple of weeks or even a couple months. Now it may, it may not, mm -hmm. right? But even once you do get the offer, regardless if it's right away or later, that offer is still going to typically come with some contingencies for financing and an appraisal yeah. and, of course, inspections. And depending on what lender they are, you may even have to pay for their for own inspection. Yeah. Then what happens is you have to then deal with the inspection report and you're going to have to do what's called seller concessions, which mm -hmm. means that you're either willing to fix everything or you're willing to give them money off. And even if you sell it as is, they're still going to do their inspections. Doesn't matter. And then if it doesn't appraise, long story short, this process takes a long time. If there's a bank involved, you got to add on another 30 or 45 days for the bank to get everything. Yep. So traditionally speaking, real estate is not liquid, right? It takes you three to four months on average to sell a piece of property. Now, you may be listening and say, I can sell my house in three weeks. Well, that's fine. Maybe you can. But traditionally speaking, right, Marcus, right. you're looking at three to four months. So a wholesaler can come in and say, I can do this three to four month process in three to four weeks, maybe sooner. Oh like my yep, website yep. says, get an offer in, a, in 24 hours and we'll close in seven to 10 days. And we will, if they're willing to give us a great deal. Otherwise, we're going to need more time. Yep. So yep. that's what wholesaling is or what a wholesaler does, right? We provide liquidity. Next, I want to talk about how we do it, right? So how are we able to provide liquidity? So all a wholesaler does to, to accomplish the liquidity is he comes in and he says, hey, I see you have a problem. I have a solution. So in exchange for the convenience of me helping you solve this problem, I demand a discount. And that's it. So we are basically exchanging a convenience yep. for a discount. And as a wholesaler, I demand a discount. And if mm -hmm. they aren't willing to give me a discount, well, then I'm going to pull back all of my convenience and I'm going to say, good luck getting it sold in four to five months, traditionally yep. speaking. But if they say I need to close in two weeks and they're willing to give me a deal, well, guess what? I'm going to open up the floodgates of convenience, folks. I'm going to say, great, I'm going to buy this property cash. I'm going to close quick, relatively. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to require any, any work or updating or painting or even cleaning by the seller. These are conveniences, folks. I am um, going to buy it as is. I'm, I'm, of course, I'm going to have an inspection period, but that's just for me internally right. to make sure I have all of my due diligence done. But basically, I'm just going to offer you convenience. And the better deal you're going to give me, the more convenience and the faster we're going to get this done. But again, as you pull back on your discount, I'm going to pull back on my level of convenience. And this is one paradigm that I had, this mindset shift, Marcus, about a year in. The first year, now this is the year in of wholesaling. So I was about 30 yep. years old, right? And I had done like 20, 30 deals my first year, right? After that three, three to four month period. And I said, and I just said, what well, I'm working really hard. I'm chasing a lot of these deals. What if I start pulling back a little bit and just saying, we can do the deals at my price. Otherwise I'm going to need either more time or I'm going to, you know, need you to clean it out or whatever. I'm going right. to pull back my level of convenience. And when I stopped chasing deals, the profits went up, the amount of work went down, right? So that's a mindset shift that I had to make that, you know, as a wholesaler, I'm in the marketing business, but I'm here to provide liquidity. And I do have a lot of value, like a ton of value. 
And I'm underestimating the level of convenience that I am offering. Marcus, whenever you hire a real estate agent, can they tell you the day that you hire them, the day you're going to get paid? No. Absolutely it's not. It's not their money for one. Yep. Right? They're just acting as, an acting on your behalf to help, an intermediary, right? To help yep. you sell. Well, as an investor, a cash buyer that comes in, we can tell them when this is going to be over and when it's going to be behind them. So that's it. We provide liquidity. We do so by offering convenience in exchange for a discount. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but that's what wholesaling is. Okay. That's, that's how hilarious. it works, right? So what we do as wholesalers is we have lots of ways of marketing. We're either driving for dollars to get leads or we're buying those leads. So we're either making our own list or we're buying those mm -hmm. lists. And then from there, we'll mail that list. We will skip trace and cold call or cold text that list. We'll do bandit sign campaigns from time to time in our city. We're on the radio. So I have a radio advertisement that is broadcasted out to everybody and anybody that can hear that advertisement. So we do a lot of different things. We're both we're doing both outbound marketing as well as inbound marketing. Inbound marketing will be like a radio ad or a mailer right. because you want yep. them to call you. It could even be an online ad. We do some online advertising too. So we do a lot of marketing. So let me ask you this real quick, David. Sure. So you're doing multiple marketing streams, outbound and inbound. What do you see? as being the most effective method for marketing one and which one generates the highest ROI? That's a great question. So here's the thing about marketing for motivated sellers. There's about a hundred approaches, right? I'm yep. just estimating a hundred <laughs> different strategies yep. to go about marketing and all of them work. It's just you being consistent with those approaches mm -hmm. and consistently doing those approaches, right? So to answer your question, I don't really have a favorite. I, mean, I really like the radio because I'm lazy and I'll forget to do things. Well, with the gotcha. radio, as long as I keep the bill paid, somebody else running. is making sure that those ads are running every day. So I can't, it's very difficult for me to be inconsistent, but I'm just paying a bill, right? So that's some of the advantages of marketing like that. Now, highest ROI, I mean, we're typically going to have our highest ROI from a cold call or a cold text. Right. And that's okay. typically where we're going to be. But then again, like online advertising, like pay-per-click, right. Yep. For example, some of our best leads have come from pay-per-click, but those leads are very expensive. Mm -hmm. They get bit up by all the competition. So there's really no right or wrong answer to marketing. When I first started, I was handwriting letters because I couldn't afford to, to, to send a bunch all at once. Yep. I was doing it by hand. Right. So there's a lot of different approaches. And there's really no right or wrong answer to what marketing you want to do. You just got to do some marketing. All and, of it works and yep. all of it will have a positive ROI as long as you stick to it. And the reason why I asked you that is because that's the same thing that I preach and I tell people is that it's not which one is going to give you the heart highest ROI is which one you're most consistent with because Absolutely. all of them can give you a high ROI if you're consistently doing it. But what some people tend to do is, okay, I'm going to start with direct mail. Okay. Direct mail didn't work. Now I'm going to try text messaging. Okay. I got a few leads from text messaging. All right. Now I'm going to try cold calling. Yeah. And that's the wrong approach. Yeah. That's so, the wrong. So we approach. do a lot of marketing in different ways, Marcus, but it's only because I've been doing this for six years and yep. I get complacent and I get bored. So I'll pivot to a new thing, but along the way, I'll automate that or a hire a virtual assistant or even a third party 
to just do that marketing for me, yep. right? And like bandit signs, for example, we still do bandit signs, but we'll do it in waves. We'll do a stick five, 600 signs out and then we won't touch it for four or five months. And then we'll do it again though. But yes, all of these work. There isn't really a better approach, right? Like yep. all of them work. It's just, what are you going to be consistent with? And if that is just hanging bandit signs on the weekend, then just start there and, and just do that. One of the biggest mistakes that I, I've seen amongst my own students and other investors is they'll try to do two or three types of marketing. And then after two or three weeks, no marketing gets done. Yep. It's overwhelming. They're not consistent. So pick one, maybe two, get really good at that. Be consistent. And after a couple months, if you decide you want to pivot, pivot, or you can automate that because now you're an expert at it. You've been doing it for two or three months and then you're able to build on it. But from day one, man, one thing, just keep it simple. There you go, guys. You hear it from a professional. Keep it simple. Stop trying to do 50 million things and then you don't do anything. Yep, less is more, especially when it comes to marketing for with wholesalers, you have one goal and that's to get in contact with motivated sellers. So it doesn't matter how you do it. Just make sure you're doing it. And as long as you're doing it, the deal is going to come. It's going to happen. So David, tell me about, you, you've been successful doing this. Tell me about one of your best deals. How did you find it? Where did it come from? What was the numbers? Yeah. So one of our best deals was a driving for dollars deal. We made six figures on it. Wow. It was a property that was in a floodplain and the sellers inherited the property, but the property, so this is a unique one and but I'm going to tell the story anyway, because it's, it's going to make yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. So this was a property that we got driving for dollars. Again, the, the seller had inherited the property, but it was in a floodplain and it had recently flooded. On top of that, the hydrostatic pressure of all the water while it was being flooded had pushed the concrete walls in the basement in, essentially making the home condemned, gotcha. uh, also flooded. And it needed to just be torn down. Like you, you really couldn't have even fixed this property, but they were willing to sell it to us for, I think like two grand or 2,500 bucks. And before we bought it, the sellers told us, they said, they said a couple of the houses on the street have recently been bought out by the city and FEMA combined. And we could probably get paid out on this, but it, it may take a couple of years and we don't want to deal with it. And we would rather just get this off of our head. We don't want to, we don't want the headache and the insurance liability and the taxes were only like a hundred bucks a year, but we still didn't want to deal with it. And again, we offered convenience. We said, all right, we'll make all your problems, our problems, but we're not going to pay you 20, 30, 50 grand for it. We're going to give right. you 2,500 bucks. And they said, cool, let's do it. And about, so we had to actually close on this one. We had to come out of pocket 2,500. Typically on these type of deals, you don't have any of your own money, but this was a kind of a right. long-term play. And we filed all the paperwork that we needed to file with the city. And the city bought us out for $127,000. Wow. Took us about 14 months of just waiting. But, and the seller knew that that was a possibility. They were the ones that told us about yeah. FEMA and the city buying out these people. And we, so basically we looked at it this way. We thought the property would appraise for 75 to a hundred grand. We didn't think we were going to get over a hundred, but we did. But also we figured, hey, what do we have to lose? If the city yeah. doesn't offer to buy us out, we're going to have to basically rip the house down and just clear the land and, and, and 
level it off. Level it. Yep. And that's going to probably cost us about 10,000, give or take. So mm-hmm. we kind of went in with a slight gamble, like, hey, we could lose 10 on this. We're pretty confident we can lose 10, like very easily. Yeah. But if the city does what they told us they were going to do, and of course, during our due diligence, we called the city. They said, yeah, your, your property's on the list for the buyout just whenever we can get the money together, maybe a year, maybe three. You're on the list, though. So that was kind of our gamble is they're going to give us full appraisal value. right? They basically were going to give us ARV, right? And this thing was toast. So that was probably one of my favorite deals because, again, I like to risk as little as possible, hopefully zero in -hmm. real estate. And I like to make big returns. And that one was, we had a little bit risk there, but we made over $100,000 at six figures on that deal. Now, we typically wholesale roughly 10 deals a month. That means we're doing two to three every single week. We typically average, I'm in the Midwest, I'm in St. Louis, Marcus. We typically average around seven grand, 7,500 on a wholesale deal. All right. We can do wholesale deals. We've done deals for 40, 60, and 80 grand, right? We've done high, higher deals. We also will do deals for four or 5,000. And we'll Mm -hmm. do a lot of those because there's a lot of little properties. We we try to keep our minimum above 2,500 when we're doing these deals. And I, some people are going to have the mindset of more deals is better. Other people are going to say, I'd rather not do these little deals and just focus on the big ones. But the way we look at it is we have a team built out at this point. We yep. have a couple people yep. in acquisitions. We have a, a girl that's in dispositions. We have a closing coordinator. We have lending partners. We have a lot of pieces of the puzzle to where we can really crank these deals out relatively fast. So if we're already spending the time and the money to market to them and yep, we see there's right. some potential, we just try to follow through with it to the end. Yeah. So again, our average is about seven grand. But here's something that's a little different that you may, guys, you may have not seen this coming or not. But to me, wholesaling is a job. I love it. I'll probably never stop. But it is a job and it requires yep. a lot of work, right? So what we do is I got about 65 rental properties right now. And the reason is, is because we cherry pick the best deals that we get. So whenever we are doing all this marketing, we keep the best for ourselves and we wholesale everything else. So we keep the best and sell the rest. That's the motto here. Keep the best, sell the rest. So the best ones that come in, guys, those are ones that I'm going to put in the rental portfolio or rehab and get them rented. And then, of course, I'm going to use the Burr strategy to refinance my money out with my lender and the goal is to be in it for nothing, right? Like zero. And we've basically added about a hundred doors to our portfolio and we've sold some off since then because there's been lots of equity mm-hmm. in a few, but we've basically added a hundred doors to our portfolio in the last 18 months, Marcus. And the average amount of money that we've left in them is about $1,200. So let me ask you this, this David. So you're taking the passive income. Well, no, I'm sorry. You're taking the active income from the wholesaling to acquire these doors, correct? Yes. We're, we're using the active income from the wholesaling to fund yep. the operations, fund the marketing. So that pays all of our people yep. that pays the, the marketing as well. And then we're taking that money and using it to purchase property and or fix up property. But typically whenever we go buy something, Marcus, We're getting a loan from a private lender and we're using all of their money. So we try to keep our money out of it, but 
how it goes with rehabbing. You budget yep. 20 and you, you get to 30 and you're like, well, shoot, we got five more. I mean, right. it's tough sometimes. Like, it's just hard. So we're constantly using our own money to help feed the business as well. But wholesaling is really more of a means to an end. It's very profitable for us. But our our goal, let's, let's talk about goals for just a second yep. here. Yep. My goal isn't to do 500 more wholesales. It's to get to about 150 doors. And right now we're about 65, call it, right? Okay. And that's the goal. So the best way to get these properties is to buy them from motivated sellers at a discount. Now, I told you when I first started, I didn't know anything about that, right? Mm -hmm. And I was getting properties retail off the MLS. I did that for about 10 years, right? So here's the beautiful thing about working with a motivated seller. You're able to get a discount. That's what I said earlier, guys. As yep. a wholesaler, you're doing nothing more than exchanging convenience for a discount. So you're getting a property at a discount. Now, if you fix the property up a little bit and you renovate it and update it and rehab it, whatever you want to call it, you've increased the value of that property more typically than the amount of what you spent. So if you buy something for 100 and you put 20 in it, you assume it's going to be worth 130, 140, yep. not just 120. Well, when you buy it at a discount, you're doubling down. On that, on that value add. So here's an example of something that I would look for, right? I would look for a property that would have a retail value of about a hundred, but I want to buy it at about 70, right? And then I'm going to put that 20 into it. And again, we said you have it at a hundred, you put 20 into it. You'd hope it'd be worth 130, 140. Well, I'm buying it at 70 versus a hundred and I'm still putting that 20 in. So not only am I getting it at a discount, but I'm increasing the value, value via fixing it up right so in this case that's 70 that goes to 90 and let's say it's worth 130 that's a forty thousand dollars of equity capture now i'm not looking at that forty thousand dollars of equity capture like that's money in my bank because it's not but what it will allow me to do is go to a bank and get a refinance loan to pay back that 90 grand because i'm going to borrow that 90 from the beginning Meaning I'm going to find this property. I'm going to go to my private lender and I'm going to say, hey, I need 70 to buy it. And I need, not, I need 20 more to fix it up. So I'm going to owe you 90. But if I can get that property to appraise for 130, 140 and the bank's willing to give me an 80% loan, now I'm able to acquire this asset, this rental property. And by the way, this is a fully updated property because I just rehabbed yeah. it. And I'm able to use the equity as my 20%. So that's really what happened and what, what shifted from the first 10 years of my investing to the last five is that I didn't, I always had to put down 20%, no matter what the purchase price is, percent's mm -hmm. a percent. So right. I always had that 20%. But once I figured out about wholesaling and buying at a discount, and then I started getting really wise and learning about the Burr strategy, I realized, man, I don't need to put any money down. I can borrow all of it. I can buy it at a discount, but also increase the value via updates. And then those two things combined typically gets me between 20 and 30% equity capture. And if the bank's willing to lend 70 or 80%, they're willing to let me keep my equity in as my skin in the game versus having to come out of pocket 20 or $30,000. So that's really where I'm at nowadays. And my goal is buying rentals and being a landlord and having passive income for multiple reasons. A, it's taxed at a lesser rate than earned income. Yep, yep. B, you have depreciation on your properties, which is a hidden uh, advantage in your, tax age, in your taxes. And C, it's cash flows. 
So you actually you're making more money than what's owed every month, which is we talked about how it's taxed. Yep. But last but not least, one of the most important and my favorite things is somebody else is paying this property off for you every month. So I look at every oh. rental property as like a piggy bank. And it starts out with like very little money in it because even though I may have equity, I've used that as my skin in the game, right? I can only capture it if I sell it. But every month that piggy banks just gets a little bigger and a little bigger and a little bigger. And after 10 or 15 years, there's a hundred grand in that piggy bank, yep. right? So that's just why I love the rental property game and where my goal is at. Now I use wholesaling as a means to find these deals. It's the marketing business. So it falls so perfectly within what I do. And I know a lot of other people that maybe only focus on rehabbing or only focus on landlording, but they still wholesale because why wouldn't you? Keep the best for yourself, guys. Sell the rest. If you get a good deal, but you don't like the neighborhood, but it's a good deal, you're going to be able to sell it and make some money. So again, why wouldn't you? So wholesaling to me is a means to an end to find these great deals. I'm going to keep the best ones for myself and I'm going to wholesale the rest of them off. Now, we also like to fix and flip. We don't do as much of it as we do wholesaling or, or land or rentals, but we always have two, three, maybe four projects going. Fix and flip. And again, we cherry pick the best ones, the ones with the biggest profit margins or the ones that need the least amount of work to make the make the, the flip profits or maybe just one that's really close to where we live or work because it's convenient. So I'm not going out of my way to find flips. They just fall into my lap all of the marketing that right. I'm doing. So again, wholesaling is beautiful, but it is a job. So to me, it's a means to an end to find those other projects that are going to be fun and or are going to add to the to the goal, the plan of adding more rentals to get to about 150 doors. And that's what I tell people. And that's something that, that a lot of people start with is wholesaling. And I tell people, but don't get stuck in wholesaling and just doing transaction, 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 but take some of that money and go and like you said, buy some rentals. Going maybe invested in doing some fix and flips or stack that money up and become a lender. There's there's many different avenues that you can do with starting out wholesaling, but it all starts, guys, with the marketing. You know, marketing. You're hearing David say it numerous times. It's the marketing, the marketing, the marketing. So if you want to be a wholesaler, but you don't want to spend any money on marketing, you won't be very successful. No, so not at all. It, it, and there's people that I train like they're in my coaching program, Marcus, that don't have a big budget and that's okay. So there's two types of marketing. There's hunting and there's fishing, right? So when you're hunting, think of it like this. You're out in the woods with a gun trying to shoot something, right? Could yep. be a squirrel, could be a deer, could be a rabbit, but it's basically one at a time, right? So hunting, I like to look at it like cold calling or cold texting or even networking. And then there's, th then there's fishing. And I look at fishing like Imagine yourself along a lake. Well, if you arrive with one fishing pole and I arrive with 300 fishing poles, how many fish am I going to catch versus you? So the fishing is like sending mail, for example. You send a bunch of them out there. They're just lines in the water with bobbers. And the more you got out there, the more people are going to call you. And then all of a sudden you're going to see these bobbers going up and down. And yep. you can actually do a lot more marketing, but you're paying for it. So hunting is typically more of a time-based budget right? It's how much time are you willing to invest into cold calling or door knocking or writing letters, right? One by one. 
or you can go and you can fish. And that is paid marketing. That is sending mail. That is automating things, right? It's spending money. So it's time or money. And I'm not arguing. I'm 100% agreeing with you. Yep. If you don't have the, the money to invest in the marketing, you're probably not going to be very successful. Here's the only difference. Unless you are willing to dedicate a lot of, a lot time, of time to yep. do that. And you, we're on the same page to do yep. that marketing. And, and really it's both. You got to have a lot of money and not money, not a lot, some money and some time to yep. make this business work. If you don't have any money, we can still make it work for you. But I mean, I'm talking, you're going to put three, four, five hours a day, every day, or at least three or four days a week. If you really want to start doing deals relatively quickly, otherwise it's going to take you several months. Yep. And one thing is if you have the money and you don't have the time, you go and find somebody and that's that the, has cool the time and don't I, have the money. I am incredibly lazy, like so incredibly lazy that I just think it's funny. Like I'm not even embarrassed about it. So that's why I choose to do a lot of type of marketing that I can automate. So what does that look like? Well, we talked about the radio a little bit, right? Yep. As long as I keep that bill paid, I have two stations that play my ad twice a day, right? On each. So that's four advertisements every day that if you're in your car and you happen to have that radio on that dial, you're going to hear my message. And as long as I keep that bill paid, I can't screw it up because they're in charge of doing it. I do a lot of cold calling and cold texting, and I have a virtual assistant for each. And they literally are working for me between 20 and 40 hours a week, doing nothing but just trying to find those motivated people and then connect me with them. And then from there, I pick up the phone, determine if the level of motivation is high enough for me to set an appointment and then try mm -hmm. to go make a friend with that person. And that's really it. That's it's so simple. And then, of course, we do mail from time to time where we'll do, we'll do a lot of driving for dollars and then we'll export that and we'll send that mail. So you got to be consistent with your marketing. So if you have the money to spend, you can hire people to do these things for you or even automate it all together, right? Yep. But in the beginning, most people don't have money. And if you're in 60 grand worth of debt, like I was, guys, you can still do this, but you have to take a risk. Like I think the, the first time that my students spend money on marketing, they're the most nervous. Yep. But after they do a deal or two, Getting them to spend two or three grand on a mail campaign or a big skip trace list is like, boom, let's do it. I'm yeah. ready because yep. they yep. see that 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 isn't necessarily an expense. It's more of an investment, right? Absolutely. Now, here's what's so beautiful about this game. And I know, Marcus, that you're going to agree with me on this. We talked a little bit about expense and investment just now. And I want to expand on that just very, very briefly. But when you put money into marketing, well, in the beginning, it's always going to be an expense because you're not going to see a return right away. And I mean, like within a week or two, right? Like you may, I tell my students, you have to expect to come out of pocket three to four months. And after that, you shouldn't have to do that anymore because you're going to be closing deals and you're going to take anywhere from 10 to 30% of every deal you close. And you're going to put that right back into your marketing budget. So what ends up happening is your marketing starts paying for itself from the deals that you're doing, but also it starts to snowball because here's the thing, Marcus, I've been doing this about six years full-time. I've wholesaled over 500 houses and I've even wrote a book on it, guys. It's called The Ultimate Guide to Wholesaling Real Estate. I'm so passionate about it, right? But here's the cold, hard facts. The average deal that my company does, my partners and I, 
It takes us between four and six months from the initial contact, meaning that the time they call us or we call them number one, right? To the time that we're able to get that property under contract and closed, it takes four to six months, right? So let that sink in for a second. If you're doing this for two or three weeks and you don't have a deal, well, I get it. That's a little frustrating, but what you are discounting and what is the most important thing is you hopefully have leads that you've cultivated and made friends with. And now they're in your follow-up system. And the money guys is in the follow-up. It's following up with these people to say, Hey, I know you didn't like my offer originally, but I'm still interested. If things change on your end, let me know I'm here. Or maybe I can come up if things change or you clean it out or, or whatever that might be. Right. But it takes time. So after a couple months of you spending money, again, this is an expense on Mm -hmm. your marketing, you're going to start closing deals, but you're also going to start closing more deals because you're cultivating these relationships and that follow-up's like a funnel. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger every day. And in four to six months from now, you're going to start closing deals that you talk to today. Yep. Right. So that's why I tell everyone, this is a game that requires a lot of patience because of all the leads that come in every month, maybe only two or three of those are we able to go get signed up and wholesaled right away. The rest of the seven, eight, nine that we do are deals that we've been working and calling and following Absolutely. up for four, five, maybe even six months. Now that's an average. And the reason that it's mm-hmm. that far is because some of these deals take three years. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that every deal is going to take three years, but I'm saying if you start making a bunch of phone calls today and everybody you talk to, you you can, you just don't stop following up with them. Even if that's a monthly or even quarterly call, eventually these people that you are calling are going to get motivated and they're going to work with you. It's just the way it works. A a good example, David, I, we just got a call on Friday it was either Thursday or Friday and this guy called out of the blue and I normally don't take the calls, but for some reason I was like, but let me uh, keep put on my acquisitions hat just to keep myself fresh and, and still remember how to close deals. So he gave me a call and I was like, wow, this number is coming from a number that we kind of discontinued and wasn't using anymore, but they, he still called that number. And that's why I tell people don't kill a telephone number because someone will call you from a year ago, two years ago, and they say, Hey, what I found this letter and, and we, people, yeah. So can I expand on this just really briefly? When yep. I first started out, I didn't have a CRM. I didn't have a phone system. So guess what number I put on my postcards it was my cell phone number. Right. And yep. I did that. I did maybe five or six campaigns, postcards right out the gate. Right. And then I, I kind of got smart and I'm like, man, I can't turn this off. So let's get a phone system that can route to my phone during the day or, and then eventually I got a call center or a VA, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I still get phone calls from that mail campaign or those couple of mail campaigns that I sent out five, six years ago. People will take that postcard or that letter and they'll put it in a drawer in their kitchen. And whenever the moment's right, they'll pull it out and they'll call you. you. So great lessons. A, don't, don't get rid of your phone numbers if you're spending money to market them. And B, just because you don't get a bunch of phone calls right out the gate doesn't mean that marketing isn't working, right? I am still getting phone calls from campaigns that I did five. Now, again, this may not be a lot of calls, maybe one or two a quarter, but you're talking five, six, seven, eight calls a year. 
from efforts from five or six years ago, guys. And so normally those are the those are the most profitable deals. And those too. are the <laughs> and, and it's funny because I'll know if it's forwarded from my phone or if it's my phone ringing. Right? Ringing, yeah. Yep. And whenever I get a number that's not, I don't know, to my phone, I'll typically answer it because I'm curious if it's a motivated seller. Yep. And when it is, I'll say, hey, did you get a postcard from me? That's the only way they would have gotten my cell phone. Uh-huh. Got it forwarding to it. And they'll say, yeah, I did. I had about, I got, usually they'll say I got 30 of them from other people and I saved all of them and I'm calling a couple of you guys now. And I'm like, great. Don't worry about calling anyone else. I'm five minutes yep. old. What's your address? Yep, right I'll now. win the deal every time. <laughs> but the fact that they call and they save it, like, it's awesome. So the point that I think I'm trying to make without going off of too many tangents, because I'm the king of tangents here. The, king. The, 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 the thing I'm trying to make here is your marketing is going to be an expense in the beginning. But once you start doing a couple deals, and I typically say, give it three or four months. Like, don't try to do this in two or three weeks. It's just not feasible. But yep. be consistent. And what's going to happen is you're going to close a deal in three or four months, maybe a little sooner, maybe a little later, but you're going to start pulling money from that deal. And then all of a sudden your marketing is no longer an expense. It becomes an investment that you make that's pulled from your profits. So I haven't had to come out of pocket to fund marketing in four years. Yep. It's beautiful. And our marketing budget right now with COVID is probably about five or six grand a month. It's, 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 I'd, some people might say, wow, that's crazy. But for the previous two years, it was about twelve to 15000 yeah. And yeah. I didn't have to come out of pocket to fund that ever. It always has come from pulling 10, 20, maybe 30% of mm -hmm. it depending on the size of the deal. Sometimes we'll do a deal and it's only a $2,000 deal. And I'm like, I don't even want that money. Okay. Yep, yep. Invest every penny of it because that 2000 could turn into 30,000, right? Absolutely. So you got to change that mindset. This is the marketing business, guys. If you're looking at wholesaling, period. All right. In the beginning, you're going to have to put up time and money to get these leads. The leads are what costs, right? Yep. Once you have a motivated seller and you're able to make a friend with them and send them a contract to purchase that property, and you take that contract to the marketplace and send it out via text or email to your buyers, or you post it on Craigslist or Facebook or whatever it is you do, and then you find that buyer, you can make that transaction work with none of your own money, seamlessly through a title company or a closing attorney. Yep. With none of your own money. I even basically wait till the last minute to open escrow and hope I can have a cash buyer and then make them go open escrow. Oh, yeah, I don't absolutely. have any of my money in yep, it. Yep. I mean, I do that more than I don't do that, right? So that's the lesson that I just really want to, 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 to push today is that you can flip properties with little to no money. 100% it's possible. My team and I do it 10 Yep. times a month. But here's what every guru is going to neglect to tell you on the Facebook ads you're seeing right now, guys, is that it costs money to generate the leads. So don't think that you can jump into this business with, with no nothing. money. Yep. Unless, as I said earlier, unless you are willing to put up a couple hours every single day and hustle to get that first or second or third deal to where you can then start funding the marketing and i don't marcus i think that that's that's that's, that's yeah i mean that's that's it david and that's the same thing that i tell people is don't get caught up in the whole pitch of you can get in this with no money down and no this no that 
Yes, but you have to hustle. And a lot of people are not willing to go through those struggles and hustle. A lot of people, if I tell people, hey, you don't have any money. Okay, pull a list, get 50 bucks, pull a list and go knock on doors. What they say? No, nah, I can't do that. That's uh, yeah. Are you crazy? I don't you know. know. What you're doing. Well, guess what? Nobody did when they first started. Oh. And that's another thing I tell my students too. So check this out. And I think you're going to agree 100%. So let's let's take a look at a wholesale deal right you market you get somebody to on the phone either they call you or you call them doesn't matter yep. which way but that's how it works right you get them on the phone typically you say hey i either want to come see the property or i like the numbers and you've sent me pictures or whatever let me get you an offer so the next you make the offer right next you take that contract to the marketplace everyone's going to have a different marketplace it's Whatever you do to market that mm -hmm. property, you find a buyer, then you take all your contracts to the title company and the buyer wins because they get a deal. The seller wins because they sell the deal and you win because you either double closed or assigned it and made a wholesale fee. Money. That's yep. the deal. Now, yep. let's take a look at this backwards now. All right. I think outside the box more than I think inside the box. So in order to do this, you have to have these two contracts at a title company. Well, in order to do that, you have to have had something to market. And in order to do that, you have had to have made an offer to get something under contract. And I'm going to yep. stop right there. So what I'm referring to is inventory, guys. If you don't have anything to sell, how in the hell, Marcus, yep. how are you going to sell something you don't have control of? Can't. You can't. So I think the, the 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 point that I'm trying to make, and I'm obviously exaggerating here, right? But the point that I'm trying to make is that you can't be afraid to make offers to people and, have, and then come back later and tell them that your offer was too high or it's not going to work. Yep. You got to get inventory. And then what ends up happening is you're going to learn from the buyers you're marketing to that your repairs are maybe off or that your ARV is off. And you're going to learn in the process of failing what you did wrong, right? That's it. That's and that's it. it. Right? Hit that bell that's again. It. That's boom, it. boom, boom, baby. That boom, boom, boom. It. That's it, man. That's it. So you can't be afraid to put properties under contract and you can't be afraid to have to exit those contracts. Now, Marcus and I can probably give you guys a couple tools today to make it easier. So in yep. every contract, you're going to have inspection periods, right? You use those to determine your repairs or actually try to fine tune them because you should know yep. an estimate prior, but you're going to try to determine those. You're also going to use that to make sure that the comps that you pulled to determine your ARV are on. Awesome. And the best yep. way to do it is to market it and get feedback. Yeah, the absolute right. best way to do it. And But here's the thing. If you get your inspection period, just make it clear when you're sending the offer that you have time to inspect. And if something comes up, you have the right to exit the deal. That's what an inspection yep. period is, guys. There's a couple other things that I like to say that help alleviate having to come back later and say, I can't do this deal because nobody wants to make that call. In fact, I actually kind of enjoy making that call, guys. It may sound sick and twisted, but here's why. I've gotten so good at this that I can make that call and make them not want to tell me to go away, but instead give me a better price wow right? yes okay so, so so how do you how do you do that okay. we can't so we can't I gloss over there Dave. and this is how guys so you got to set this up from the beginning so when you're making your offer okay this is my pitch you can steal it you can customize it you can tailor it but this is what i say 
Last year, my team and I, we bought almost 100 houses. And that's the truth, right? But you don't have to say that. You can say, my team and I buy a lot of houses, okay? Mm -hmm. But in order for us to buy a lot, or in my case, about 100 of them, there's no way it's possible for me to buy 100 houses or a lot of houses by myself. So what I do is I bring in investor partners on almost yeah. every one of my deals. But I got a really good track record, and I'm confident. You got to have confidence. I'm confident that if the numbers are the numbers that we are estimating that we're going to get this deal done. But what I'm going to do is during my inspection period, I'm going to I'm going to bring in all my partners. Again, that's how I do all these deals mm -hmm. to make sure that my repairs are what I estimated and to make sure that the ARV is what we both think it is and that this deal is going to work. So then when it doesn't work for whatever reason, I can now go back and I say, "Hey, I told you that this is based upon partners approval." And none of my partners like these numbers. Guess what? I know why because they've already told me. And this is the this is the yep. get their get their get their their take on it. So now I can say when I walk through this property, we estimated forty grand, but I'm I'm being told it's closer to fifty five or sixty. Yep. I'm so yep. sorry, but this is like you want to see the bids? Here they are. Or I thought that the ARV of this was two ten. But after looking at these comps a little bit more detail, it's 190. So guess what? I'm not calling you to say I can't do this deal. I'm just calling you to tell you that I wasn't able to find a partner like I told you from the beginning. And during my inspections, I either uncovered more repairs mm, yep. or more information that just changes things. And I'm so sorry to have to make this call to you. I'm not sorry at all, but I tell them that. I say, I'm mm -hmm. so sorry that I have to make this call to you. I would still like to move forward but I need either a better deal, AKA X number of dollars off, yep. or I just need more time, right? So one of the things my, my coach told me from the very beginning, Marcus, was there's really only two reasons why a property hasn't sold if it's for sale. There's really only two. One, it's not priced low enough, yep. or two, yep. not enough people have seen it marketed for sale. And that's doing is I'm trying to get a lower price or more time so I can get more eyeballs on it. And it's very rare that I'll have to exit a deal because I make that very clear to people in the beginning. I tell them that I need inspections. I tell them that I do a lot of deals. And because of that, I bring in partners. So my contract has a couple CYA clauses, nothing crazy, but a couple. One is it's going to have an inspection period which typically includes a sewer scope, all right? Okay. Number two, it's based on partner's approval. Like, don't even, don't try to complicate it. Literally, one sentence, based on partner's approval, okay? And then the last thing that I typically add in there is subject to taxes, title, and value. And the reason I say subject to taxes, title, and value is because I want to determine my taxes. I want to determine my title issues and work which is part of the due diligence process. So if yep. that is slow for any reason, I'm going to need more time. But also value is objective or subjective. Absolutely. I don't know the difference, honestly, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? So you may have a different value than me and I may have a different value from you. And that last sentence keeps me from getting sued essentially because I can say, listen, I didn't see the value that I saw originally yep. later on. And because of that, I'm going to opt out of this agreement. And the way that our agreements are written is the only thing that we have to lose is the deposited earnest money. And typically, Marcus, we try to get them to deposit it, the cash buyer, or we try to give them $10 or $50 mm -hmm. or the most minimum amount. Now, again, the goal isn't to exit, guys. The goal is to close the deal.
But if you can't get it closed, you either need a better price or you need more time. And what I just explained to you, how I do it is how you should do it because transparency is the best approach. There you go. Now, I'm not going go. to the seller at Marcus and saying, hey, I'm going to wholesale your deal. That's a little too transparent, right? Right. What I do want to say is, listen, I do a lot of deals and I have to bring in an investor partner on every one because I want to do more and more and more. I can't do all this myself. So it is going to be subject to a partner's approval. But guess what? I have a lot of partners, like thousands of them in the city. I'm all over town. Everybody knows who I am. My email list has probably 6,000 people on it. Again, I'm not saying this to brag, but those yeah. are partners. Those are potential yeah. cash buyers for my deals, guys. So and, when, can... and when you're transparent like that, the sellers are more open and optimistic to whenever you come back, if you have to come back around and say, hey, but we couldn't get the deal done at X, but we need to have a 4%, 5% reduction in the price and we'll be able to get it done. So when you're transparent, they welcome it. They love it. And they say, okay, well, whatever we want to do to get it done. And Let's they're motivated done, anyway. They're so Mark, motivated. Whenever you present somebody with an offer and they sign it in their head, it's sold. Sold. So yep. if you come back with more inspection items that you try to get down off the price, even though it's an as is sale, as is just means that they're not having to fix anything, fix it. Yep. right? It doesn't mean they're not going to have to come down though. If you find more things, right? It just means you don't have to fix it. So absolutely, man, we take the transparency approach. It's very rare that somebody will get upset with us or not want to do business with us because we tell them from the beginning, this is where we're at. We're bringing in a partner. We do need these inspections, but because you're willing to give me that discount we talked about in the very beginning, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a crazy discount, but 20, 30, maybe 40%, depending on how bad the property is. Right. In exchange for that discount, I am going to do everything, guys. I'm going to do all the inspections on my own. I'm not going to bother the seller. I'm not going to require the seller to put on a new roof or paint mm -hmm. it, clean out all that crap that's in the basement, right? It is what it is. I'm going to go get a private lender, or in this case, a cash buyer, because I'm wholesaling it, to be able to pay cash, even if they have a line of credit or their own lender. When it comes to yep. a title company, cash is cash. If it's a bank wire or a check, it's still cash. Still right? cash. So when you say I'm a cash buyer, you can still have a bank behind you or a lending partner or a yep. hard money lender. You've got to be able to pull the trigger. Right. Yep. It has to be able to be cleared at closing. And then, so then the quickness and then the as is, and that's it. That, that's the convenience that we offer guys. It's, I'm going to just start repeating myself because that's really it. That's it's so it. incredibly simple, Marcus. However, it's not easy. And that's the difference. You can have something that's very simple, but not necessarily easy. But what makes it easy? Spending money on marketing because then your phone rings and now you have the ability to work the leads that you want to work versus not. It's very hard when you don't have any money because you're having to contribute time yeah. consistently to doing those efforts. And if you got that in you, great, you're going to have no problem. But a lot of people choose Netflix over cold calling and then they're poor and they're broke. Their whole <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So, so David, this is what we're going to do, man. You gave us a lot of gems. I, I really so. appreciate everything that you did. You, you really laid some key things out for everyone. So what we're going to do, we're going to transition into our hot seat questions we're going okay so david starting out what would you do differently man oh man if i could start all over and go back to the my 20s right in the beginning i still would have done the house hacking but i would have i would have tried to i would have read more books back then 
to learn about wholesaling. I didn't learn about wholesaling until I'm 30 years old. And that's been one of my biggest regrets because if I could have started this five years earlier or even 10 years earlier, I'd probably be retired already, man. And I'm close. Let's put it that way. But learning how to find motivated sellers and how to control properties with contracts. You notice I didn't say buy them. I just said right. control them because you don't have to buy them to sell them. You got to control them. And you use a piece of paper to do that, guys. It's so simple. So to answer your question, it would have been read more books at an earlier age to have opened my mind up to these motivated seller people. And I would have learned how to find and contact them or have them contact me at a sooner, as soon as possible. Okay. So what is your greatest commodity outside of capital? My greatest commodity outside of capital is probably just that gift of gab, man. I mean, whenever I get a seller on the phone, my goal is to get as much information about that person and that property. All right. And I think a lot of people just take the approach of, well, tell me about the property. Well, that's fine and all, but the problem isn't the property most of the time. Mm -hmm. Property is just one stepping stone to solve the problem that the person is facing. So yeah. what, you're probably thinking, well, what could that be, Dave? Well, it's easy. Death, divorce, disease, job relocation, back taxes, foreclosure or pre-foreclosure. There's lots of reasons where there's distressed people. It's not always the property that's distressed, right? Yep. Whenever I'm on the phone with people and to answer your question, this is a lightning round. One of my biggest commodities is I'm really worried, or I should say, I'm really focused on making a friend with the seller and understanding why sure. they need to sell. Not just saying, tell me everything about this house. Because again, oftentimes the problem isn't the house. house. It's yeah. something else. And if you can make a friend, you can build trust and you can get properties under contract. It's that you got simple. it. You got it. All right. So tell me latest real estate book. Tell me about your book, your wholesaling book, your bird book Share with the listeners what you have. to talk about these. So I wrote this book with my partner, Mike, it's called the ultimate guide to wholesaling real estate guys. You can find it on Amazon. It's about 15 bucks. It's about 300 pages. So it's a very, very all-inclusive book. However, if you guys don't want to buy it, I don't blame you. I'm not even here to pitch you on the book, but we do have a free course that goes along with the book and you don't have to buy the book to take the course. The course is called freewholesalecourse.com. Again, freewholesalecourse.com. Go check that out. It's everything that we do in our own business, all of the marketing, all the negotiation, all the offer calculators. We even have contracts that we use in our own business that we give away for free. So it's basically everything you need to get started to learn how wholesaling works and to get that marketing going. So that's 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 book number one. And of course, the ultimate guide to wholesaling real estate that's in companion with freewholesalecourse.com. And then just a couple months ago, so we wrote that book a few years back, but just a couple months ago, we wrote our second book, guys. It's called The Burr Method. All right. Very, very, very simple. The Burr Method. Our goal with this book was to be half as long as the last book, and it ended up being 60 pages longer. <laughs> this is also a thick book. This is 360 pages here, right? Available on Amazon. But the Burr Method is how to build a rental empire with nothing out of pocket, right? And my, my partners and I, we when we first started, we didn't know how to do this, right? And this is all from experience. So I didn't go read a bunch of other books and then write one. I lived it. So we added about 100 doors to our portfolio in 18 months. 
when we first started out, we were leaving 15 to 20 grand in each property because we didn't know all the things that we know now. And now we're averaging about a thousand bucks, maybe 1200 bucks. So what that means is I'm able to go out and find a property at a discount, borrow the money to buy it, borrow the money to fix it, fix it up, get it rented out. This is BRRRR, this is an acronym. Yep. Get it rented out. Then once it's rented out, go to my bank and refinance the money that I owe my lender for the purchase and the rehab. And I'm, I'm getting so good at it now that I can do this and I'm averaging $1,000 of my own money in the deal at refi. Meaning I have to basically wow. bring a thousand bucks, but the lender that I've borrowed to buy it and fix it up gets paid back 100% with interest, guys, with interest. So when he gets that money back, guess what he's wanting to do? He's wanting to give it right back to me because he wants to it back to you. Yep. Right? Yep. So that's what the Burr method is. It's, it's an acronym for building a massive portfolio of rentals with little to none of your own money. The goal here, guys, is zero. How often do you hear of a goal at zero? Well, that's the goal. It's how do I get an asset in my portfolio with none of my own money? This is how. There you go. It's called the Burr method. That's also on Amazon. And there's actually a companion course to that too, now that I think about it. So the first one was free wholesale course. The second one is free landlord course, guys.com. So check so out both of those courses. The wholesale course is going to teach you how to wholesale. And the landlord course is going to show you how we do these burrs. It's going to show you the calculators that we use to determine if they meet the, the criteria or not. And it even has in there like some contracts and some calculators and stuff. So we give all this away for free. So I really hope you guys take advantage of these free offers. And guys, all of that information will be down in the show notes that I want to make sure you guys have the best resources in order to get started in the right way or to expand your what you're already doing. And David really has some great stuff for you guys. So make sure you go on the show notes, get those free courses, get those books. And that way you can definitely be on your way to uh, wholesale riches and to more investment properties. So That's David, right. David, man, I really want to appreciate you coming Absolutely, on man. I again. You did an excellent job, man. I appreciate it. I know the people got tons of positive information. You know, even you know? if there's just one or two things that you guys took away from Marcus and I chatting here for about an hour, then I feel that we were, yeah, we had a successful talk. Oh, absolutely, man. You know, we got more than more than one or two. I can tell you that. Very cool. Well, Marcus, again, I want to really thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to provide some value and hopefully teach a few things to your audience. And if you ever want to do this again down the road in a couple months, I'm your guy. Absolutely, David. So guys, you guys, you know what to do. You know, like I always say, take the information and make sure you get out there and enjoy the journey of becoming a real estate investor. Thank you. And we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? 
join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.